0: This is Father Bonaventure Chapman.
1: And this is Father Gregory Pine.
0: Welcome to God's Play. Back, hopefully. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Play wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory, happy Easter. We hey, happy Easter, you here, too. We have uh, here, and it's the season that doesn't end. Not really, I suppose. The nice part... It goes on for a while, and then Pentecost takes over, and it's great. And then when ordinary time comes, there's like this brief sigh of relief. Eucharistic prayer two can be used with impunity. Um, <laughs> you know, things just kind of draw down a bit. You know, weapons are down. Like everyone's just a little calmer. Um, it's uh, yeah. So it's 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 great. That's coming. That's not here yet. Um, but uh, yeah. So how
1: how are things? <laughs> things are going well. I think I think sometimes I'm embarrassed to make admissions publicly. Um, that I find like lengthy and weighty liturgy difficult to support. But I feel like you got to be honest, you know, but um, we've talked before about octaves in one of our uh, Lectio episodes for Lent when describing things about Lent that we found uh, like difficult or hilarious in the novitiate. And you talked about Good Friday, and I talked about Easter, neither of which were never mind, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, no Easter, man, it's just like, uh, I'm living in a French speaking community. So it's, Like longer, more intense, and incense filled things in a foreign tongue, Um, also in like a foreign musical idiom for me. So it's like, Mm. wow, man. Nothing says celebration, like almost total incomprehension and length. So it's good. It's good. I'm entering into the Lord's victory in the way that is most perfectly suited to this stage in my life. Uh, How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Francophone linguistic transcendence is mediating to you analogously the divine transcendence of the mysteries. Um, But I carry on. Um, so, no, I yeah, can't complain. Um, but we are, because it's Easter, we are doing these special bonus episodes on the Eucharist, because if you have not heard yet, uh, the USCCB and other Catholics that ought to be listened to in most cases um, are asking the church to think more about the Eucharist. Partly, I suspect, because of the Pew polls that came out and said no one knew what was going on. Um, so this is our, our assistance to that. And we've been moving through uh the eucharist and the this is the episode on eucharistic change eucharistic change which of course is uh well you know these concepts are tough but um we'll get into that um and but before that though we just previously on last last episode you could say uh we talked about eucharistic doctrine and thankfully father gregory was on that so father gregory um you want to give a little like recap on, or kind of a handoff here? You know, it's a relay race, I suppose. You were with Father. what Were you with on that episode? I was with Father Jacob Bertrand. All right, great. So the two of you, so you're like relaying, and then I'll relay to someone else after this one. I think I'm actually back to him on devotion. Who knows? Um, what a. Uh, so what did we leave off with? The, with the doctrine, and swing us into into eucharistic change. Because we don't want yeah, to be so doing doctrinal it... change, but we want right doctrine and then change. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that uh, I'm willing to throw my hands up at the beginning of the episode and say that there's going to be a little bit of overlap in each and every episode on account of the fact that there are five of us covering six topics and some of us are on some episodes and some of us are not. So uh, it's inevitable, but we're trying our best to make it such that each is a deepening or a broadening or what would be other ways in which to increase volume, deepening, broadening, heightening? No, I don't think that's gonna work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lengthening? Yeah, no, that's not gonna work either. Let's just say deepening and broadening of our understanding of the Eucharistic doctrine so that we can better appreciate the Eucharistic reality. Uh, So in the last episode, we talked specifically about like sacramentality or signification. So we focused on the signs, which are at work uh, in the celebration of the mass and the most holy Eucharist. So we talked about the twofold consecration, and then we talked about like the fact that it's bread and wine, so kind of common table nourishment. And then we talked about like, out of many grains, one loaf, out of many grapes, one chalice, and how these signs recall for us or kind of like make present for us realities of past, present, and future. And then we just dovetailed a little bit into the Eucharistic sacrifice, since that's a big question, specifically in conversations between Catholics and Protestants. Mm. So that's kind of where we left up and maybe that's where we pick up.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um... And the the language of sacrifice uh, is is an important one for I mean any religious aspect I think if you look at in religions just generally I think most religions have a notion of sacrifice if have wanted to put on our little like religious history hats or what have you or our cultural anthropology hats and wander out and and find things there's a sense of a sacrifice to a higher power is a natural aspect and I mean. St. Thomas, of course, uh, is all in favor of natural religion as far as it goes. Um, he's not a he's not a, a fideist. He's not a Protestant. He believes that grace builds upon nature and all these things. So he has a lot of discussion about about the virtue of religion and kind of as a natural virtue and like the reason why you should naturally want to worship God. So these sun-worshiping people are not like totally crazy. They're just, just object that's a bit misdirected but it's a good object. I mean, it's better than golden calf. Let's be honest. That doesn't do anything. Whereas the sun basically brings life. Um, so if you're going <laughs> to worship, I had a Jesuit friend of mine who said, you know, if I didn't believe in the Trinity, I would definitely worship the sun because man, that thing does everything. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I think that's probably true, but a uh, sacrifice is this sense of, 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 of you know, destroying something. And it seems prevalent in most uh religions natural religion but especially in of course the jewish religion you have a lot of talk about sacrifice and i think it's easy for us to kind of elide over this or skate over it quickly or surfboard over quickly or hovercraft over it quickly or whatever whatever (laughs) mode of transportation you're doing um and just like oh yeah yeah old sacrifice whatever but the the old testament and natural religion, these two are shaping what Thomas thinks is the account of what the Eucharist is. The Eucharist and the account of sacrifice in it doesn't just fall out of heaven. It actually has a sort of rising up. It's a meeting, a fusion of, of above and below um, things because God controls all things. So, um, Father Gray, do you want to take us – what do you make of – I mean, how do we – how does sacrifice come from the bottom up, you could say, and aim us towards the Eucharistic sacrifice? as like a, the teleologically. We're moving towards that, but it's not random. It's making sense.
1: Yeah. Um, St. Thomas will often appeal to the Old Testament sacraments or sacrifices as helpful ways in which to introduce New Testament sacraments and sacrifices, because he thinks that there's, well, there's a logic to the way that God reveals himself in time and space. There's a kind of pedagogy to salvation history. So he takes God at his word. So if God's going to say like, hey, this is important, he's like, OK, seems this is important. How does this important thing lead to a more important thing? Um. So what do we observe about Old Testament sacrifices? Basically, you have some thing, and that thing is set aside and then altered in some way so as to, one, honor God, and then two, bring about some change in God's people, all right? So like to make them pleasing, to obtain for them some favor, uh, to deal with sin and its effects. And when you read the Old Testament, you encounter all kinds of different sacrifices. You've got Well, let's see. I mean, um, certainly you've got like devotion and prayer is these kind of interior dimensions, but then you have oblations, which are offerings of whatever sort. And then sacrifices more strictly entail some change to the host. But um, sometimes you change the whole host. Sometimes you change part of the host or victim is be another word there for host. Um, So when you change the whole host or you destroy the whole host, that's called a, a Holocaust offering. Okay. When you don't, it's just called an oblation. And then you have like tithes and first fruits and You've got like vows and oaths and all different ways in which God can be worshiped through religion. Uh, But when it comes to like, you know, offering sacrifices or offering oblations, you've got like cereal offerings and wave offerings, and you've got like sin offerings, and you've got, you know, all kinds of different ways in which to what make good on this relationship, you know, to honor God and tend to affect some change among the people of God specifically often, the dealing with sin. So there's this sense that we as a people have been given the goods of the earth so as to worship and that that worship is a kind of comprehensive act, all right? So it's about first rectifying our relationship with God, but that it should take hold of all of our other relationships in order to rectify them as well. So, you know, like when you read, a lot of people will try to read the Bible in a year or listen to the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. And sometimes they find the book of Leviticus to be a stumbling block because there are lots of prescriptions about specifically sacrifices. But this should show us, at the very least, even if we do find it boring, that sacrifice is to be taken seriously or it's a very important aspect because it's an essential feature of our relationship with God, right? Which isn't just about good feelings. Um, it's specifically about, like, you know, like rectitude. It's about making things holy, which have kind of fallen out of line or fallen out of order. So, yeah, that might be a little bit of an Old Testament backdrop, but you can do better.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. I think what, what what's fascinating to people is you might hear, when I mean, think about sacrifice. Cause... The language about it. We don't generally sacrifice much today, you could say, but the, we still use the word to say, I'll, "I'll sacrifice for you," or "I'll sacrifice from time." Um, even the, like the Father, great, talked about partial and full sacrifice, the Holocaust offering, the partial. I mean, partial is like giving a sort of time. You could say you're sacrificing your time for someone else. You're not sacrificing everything. You could say, even I mean, yeah, taking on things. Um, there's this, there's some kind of partial diminution uh of yourself in that which is this, which is sacr. you know i'm i sacrifice for love you know i want to do this but i'll sacrifice we have this language of which you wouldn't have thought was like a destructive language but it is it's destroying something for something else something better hopefully or something you ought to do you're not generally sacrificing for a worse thing you know i'll sacrifice my virtue for vice you might actually be doing that but you're not intending to do that right You're you're aiming and but then there's this holocaust business the whole burnt offering you could say this whole and you might think well, this is obviously the best one, you know. This is the most sacrificial, and yet at the same point, you might think this is a crazy god, because <laughs> the most sacrificial, highest form of worship is to destroy things, and you might think Moloch is back. Turns out that we believe pagan gods, because pagan gods seem to be the god of destruction. This is we believe in the god of life, right? He's the god of living of of Abraham. Isaac and Joseph. He's not the God of the dead, the God of the living, you know, resurrection, all this kind of stuff. And so what does he want? He wants you to destroy stuff. And not just a little bit, put marks on it, you know, like little tattoos or something. But he wants you to take that thing and totally destroy it. Old Testament version, New Testament. And you might think, that sounds wild and crazy. Um, but you're a Chestertonian sort of man. So you like whimsy and the fancy and the inversion of the of, of the invertible. Um so why in the world would anyone think that a Holocaust destruction would be involved in in the highest form of sacrifice? What what do we make of that before we talk about the Eucharist, which is a double destruction, you could say, which we'll get to.
1: No, it's, I mean, it's a great question. And I don't think that we should just lightly say like, you know, make some Chestertonian quip and say, you know, up is down and everything is awesome and go ahead and everything will be great. Um, But I think that it reflects a certain spirit. So. Uh, with acts of religion, the exterior dimension is for the interior dimension because it issues from the interior dimension, then it kind of um, reaffirms the interior dimension. And the interior dimension of any act of religion or any act of worship is so devotion, which is a prompt giving of the will, and then prayer, which is a raising of one's mind and heart to God. So what you're effectively giving in any sacrifice is yourself. So the devotion, you know, giving of your will you kind of give everything in giving your will because your will stands at the fountainhead of all of your human acts so you're giving the very capacity to live and be and move and as it were have your being mm that's not the list that i want to supply but what is it to live and move and never mind have your be- um yeah. moving on gregory so uh devotion you give the will and prayer you give the mind and and that kind of accounts for the whole of the person so when you offer a sacrifice the point isn't like bloodlust sated The point is that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. All right, so that's what? Letter of James, chapter one, verse 18, maybe? Every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. And there's a kind of temptation uh, on the part of man and woman to arrogate or to kind of like take for one's own all of those gifts that are given without recognizing their source and their end. And so what the spirit of sacrifice or the spirit of oblation kind of cultivates in us is a recognition that they are from God and for God. And so we take the best and we offer them back to him, not because God needs them. And he says explicitly in the old Testament that he doesn't specifically, you know, like in the Psalms, Um, it's not, it's not, you know, like your Holocaust and offerings that I want. It's a contrite heart that I want, but what do we do? I mean, we're trying to memorialize. We're trying to act out in our very body, in our very gestures, um, in our very activity, a recognition of the fact that it's from God and for God, and that we take the best, we take pristine, pure, and excellent victims, and then we offer them to him. Now in the Hebrew, like understanding, you're not gonna offer people, right? So it's there's a sense that like, God God, he definitely doesn't want animal, I mean, human sacrifice, but like mm-hmm. to give an animal sacrifice is to give of your best, right? It's to give of your most precious, with a recognition that you wouldn't have anything were it not for his sovereign provision. And so I think, you know, God, God doesn't care about the blood, Right, it's the life of the flesh that's in the blood. So he wants he wants your life, and so the sacrifice that is offered is an offering of the sacrifice of the person, which you know you can already see how that's leading into a discussion of the passion, death, and resurrection.
0: Yeah, and that's the and that's that's the word we want to go to is that um, the sacrifice and a, a holocaust burnt is a total destruction, but it's it's a total offering. You could say it's I and we talk about the, with the devotion is a total offering of the will. My, and this is what christ does in the garden right not my will be done but thy will be done When he has that uh internal monologue with the two natures and all this um so he's offering to the father and and it's a total offering and uh that's that's a good transition point because the the eucharist i think people think about i think, think the eucharist is this thing and has no relation to to calvary like but and or you might think so you can go in two ways to This you could say, well, the Eucharistic sort of communion thing is something different. Like, and when someone points out that it has to do with, with the cross and Calvary, you think, Oh, that's strange. I thought these were two different things, but you could then go the other route so the Protestant route and say, well, you guys say they have something to do with each other. And you might even say, you guys even say they're identified, you know? So like one represents, so represents is symbolic, but, but like represents one represents. So there's a unity there. Um, and we Catholics, you raise your hand. You know, there'll be a few things like that. We're gonna, this is going to sound a little crazy, but we raise our hand on this whole like, yep, that's the same one. Like the what's happening on Mass. You know, if you notice some priests take off your take off our watches because the watch will be wrong technically in some fashion at that point. That's three p.m. on on Good Friday. And what's happening the Mass is is the one same sacrifice, one same sacrifice, um, an offering of God to the Father. So we're going to raise our hand on that and say, yes." and then one's, someone's going to say, "Well, what's going on there?" So Father Gregory, what's the, what's the connection between the cross and the sacrifice? Uh, the cross is, of course, the culmination of the Old Testament sacrifices, and the Eucharist, of course, is, there, is the representation, the continuation in some fashion, of that Old, of that old Testament, or the, that culmination of, of Old Testament sacrifices. So what's going on, What's going on there before we get to the change, which you can imagine change and destruction are related to each other?
1: Yeah. So certainly with our Old Testament background now set before our eyes, uh, we can appreciate the difference between Old Testament and New Testament sacrifice and sacrament. Specifically, Old Testament sacrament and sacrifice have to be repeated continually because there's a kind of insufficiency to the offering. And St. Thomas points this out, I mean, various Christians point this out throughout the church's tradition. There's this sense that these things need to be renewed because in themselves, they lack a certain sufficiency, which is what I just said, but I just restated it so that way you would hear it twice. Um, So like, for instance, the sin offering, you have like Yom Kippur, which recurs every year as a kind of solemn day of atonement. But I mean, sacrifice is offered twice daily in the temple. And then, you know, like with the end of the temple system, with the destruction of the second temple, you have a kind of transposition of this mode of worship. But what you see uh, like in Jewish cult is a return, like a continual return to the source, uh, to the font of the sacrifice, not because it's being commemorated, but because it's actually being redone, right? Um, It's being kind of, uh, what would you say, like cycled through Um, because, and here, you know, we're not just treating it on its own terms, but thinking about it in terms which are given to us by our Lord, you know, with the fullness of revelation, the fulfillment of the law, the old law by its own nature, can't justify, right? It doesn't contain the grace of the Holy Spirit, which our Lord pours into the new law, to the new covenant. And so with those sacrifices, you don't have the same kind of power. You don't have the same kind of punch um, because they don't they don't not cause their effect, right? They don't change or cause by signifying in the way in which we described the sacrament in the last episode, uh, or excuse me, the sacrament of the New Testament so when it comes to these sacrifices we restore them with a kind of spirit of necessity um because there's a sense that uh like kind of left to their own devices they'll never be sufficient for making this people permanently stably holy and entirely good but that kind of stirs in us the desire for something that is sufficient something that is in no wise lacking something that need only be applied or made efficient throughout time and space and that's kind of how we begin inquiring into or begin appreciating what's at stake in our Lord's sacrifice and in the way that that sacrifice is perpetuated through the sacrament of the Eucharist.
0: Yeah, and the perpetuation of it um, seems, you might say, well... I mean, you Catholics say you don't repeat the sacrifice. You know that the Old Testament laws were about repeat sacrifice, but I kind of see you doing it every day. Maybe more more than once a day, and like on, if you're in Saturday, if you're on the weekend, you might be doing it like five times a day. Like you guys are even going, you're repeating it more than the, than in the Old Testament uh, the Jews were. Um, but of course, we we want to say, well, well, no. It's the reason why reason why we don't get away with we're not lying up to you about this. We're like hypocritical is because, for, and this is where the Eucharistic presence matters, the person sacrificed is, it's Christ, the book of Hebrews talks about this, of course, this is the, the main point of it, who offers himself as high priest once and for all. And in the Eucharist, we believe, we teach, we affirm, we love, that it is the same person, the same person, who is involved in the same act, the same act. So the same person's same act is involved at each eucharistic uh celebration, each of, of sac each sacrifice. So while it's a different you could say sacrifice in one way, it's essentially the same sacrifice because it's the same person doing the sacrificing, uh and it's the same person, the same act of it. It's an extension of that. Now, if that because obviously, if you think about the Old Testament sacrifices, I mean, I don't think they were using the same bread or the same grain, way not, the same thing. The material, the matter, you could say it was different. Even the high priest was different, right? Everything was different about those. each one of those sacrifices. Whereas in, in for Catholics, we believe that actually the essential parts of it are the exact same, the person and the act are the exact same. And therefore, at least, you know, it doesn't explain or like, oh, got it now. But it gives you a reason to, to believe that it's not crazy to say that actually there is just one th- one-time sacrifice protestants are right about that because they got it from us um there's one sac- there's one sacrifice at the cross it's just that it's extended through time and space as the same act same person in this in this thing um so i think that alleviates at least some of the tension i would say of of concern about about re- re- repetition but let's talk about um uh, the and you can jump in on this as well but the change itself um so we've been moving up towards this destruction this sort of thing um it's the same person but he's not he has to get there you could say yeah. right so what's what's yeah, yeah. uh so we got to get him we got to get him to the show it's like the wedding you know we got to get, get him in, the, in limo. he's there and you know he's going to get himself there but he does it through means you could say he likes to work with stuff
1: yeah so i mean just kind of dovetailing on the point with which you just concluded namely the identity of the sacrifice of the mass with the sacrifice of Calvary. So St. Augustine kind of extends the analogy that you drew or extends the comparison that you drew that it's, you know, the same God who offers, uh, the same victim, the same host who is offered, who is Christ. Um, it's offered on behalf of the same beneficiary, which is us. Um, and then it's offered. So it's offered to God by the same priest, same victim and on behalf of us. So to God, by God, you know, in Christ offers himself, that is to say Christ on behalf of us. And so you have Christ who is operative, In the sacrifice of Calvary and in the sacrifice of the Mass. Because when you think about it, the priest acts in persona Christi. He offers Christ. He offers Christ to God and he offers it on behalf of the people of God. So there's that same dynamism, there's that same work. Um, And so you have a kind of like power at work in the sacramental signification, which is able to, on the one hand, you know, commemorate or represent the sacrifice of Calvary, but on the other hand, to bring about real effects, right? To bring about real changes, real graces real things. And in the last episode, we talked about signification and how you have a kind of intermediate effect and a final effect of the signification. So you've got all of the signification that's at work in the sacrifice of the Eucharist. All right. And it kind of concentrates around the consecration. And the intermediate effect of that is that it makes Christ present. And here, you know, like we as Christians are just very sensible to the realism of the words of consecration, or the words of institution. When our, when our Lord says, this is my body, He doesn't say this is a symbol of my body. He doesn't say, this is merely a sign of my body. He says, this is my body. Now, mind you, it's it's a kind of signification. Like we stressed in the last episode, there's a kind of a symbolism that's being used. Uh, but, the, but the first object of that symbolism is Christ. You know, like he makes himself present. Whereas in like baptism, he's saying, I you know, like I, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, which is to say, I impart to you a kind of grace. So there's a change that transpires in you, the recipient. But he doesn't say, I, I, and the baptism which you receive like there isn't an intermediate point in that same communication i mean granted we receive a character and that character is a participation in his priesthood but he doesn't say like this is my body by which you are baptized but in the eucharist he says this is my body by which you are fed by which you are nourished by which you partake of the graces of the union of the mystical body so the change that is transpiring is a change which christ the high Priest. You know who acts in virtute divina who acts in the divine power who is god right uh working through the instrumental i mean the instrument of his sacred humanity he, he 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 offers himself on our behalf and in so doing he says this is my body like this is the thing that i offer and i make it present in so offering it um so yeah effectively like kind of within this broad sweep of a language of sacrifice uh we have the the change is that Christ is made present, right? Christ's body is offered, and in being offered, it is made present. I don't know if that's entirely clear because, um, yeah, it's just a really hard thing to think about for anyone. And well, we'll get, uh, on account we'll get of get that there. fact, I don't always describe it clearly. But yeah, what do you think?
0: No, no, we'll get there. I think that's right. It, I. It seems like there's and there's the change, the changes is the the bread and the wine. Um, are changed into his his body and blood, soul, and divinity is the kind of standard formulation, right? And that's a set. So in some ways, like we, you bring up the bread and the wine and the offering, you bring for the offering, and then there is a sacrifice. Or there, sorry, there's there's a, there's a destruction, right? So that those things are turned into him, right? So he's now present because he's the one who is the sacrifice. So it's like a two-step thing since he has to be brought there first, you could say, as opposed to in Calvary, it's right off the bat. Uh, right off the right off the cross you could say um and then the sacrifice will occur so the double consecration which you all talked about um in the doctrine part of that that um the breaking of the breaking of uh and the consecration in the two under two species separately dominicans have tended to see this as as this is the act of, of sacrifice of 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 christ um there but he has to get there first and he's there and this is where so we mentioned like same sacrifice across time raise hand crazy belief let's try to give it a go um and this is the other one that's like you know christ is there he is he is present there he is it is that is christ that's why we genuflect that's why we reserve the sacrament that's why we can adore and not be idolaters all this so it's like raise hand you believe that that thing that looks like bread and that that stuff that looks like wine is the body and blood soul and divinity of of, of our lord jesus christ and hands up in the air you better believe it yes we do yes we do and you might say I'm getting off, you know, Um, but there's a there's a perfectly sensible. No, there's not a perfectly reasonable thing about it, but we can say some things. We're Dominicans, you know, and the church has has some things about this. So it's distinctions and going at it from the what it's not is sometimes helpful. And I think people think immediately, oh, if he's present, then that means that he's present. You could say bodily like he's there taking up this space and sort of thing. But of course, of course, of course, a of charity, we don't believe that, but we don't believe that he's present there by spirit, or that he's present there by goodwill, or present there by like symbolic, like we call that his body now. Catholics are, we're people of the mean, and a substantial mean at that. So can you just take us through quick um, how, yeah, as, you know, it doesn't won't take more than a second to explain this. <laughs> um, but traditionally, this is called—at least, this has become called. and I'll make a comment about this later. Um, uh is the big old word that you get for this one. But it's that's the nice median. You might think that's an extreme, but it's not. Um, what do you what do you make of how do, how can you help? How can we help people think about remind them? It's not a local presence, but it's not a symbolic presence either. It's between.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, I mean, apropos of what you just said, I was thinking. You know, it is you you raise your hand for a thing that sounds to our contemporaries like crazy town. Um, and this is, I think, one of the arguments that St. Jerome gives for the Eucharist. He says, hey, do you believe that the only begotten son of God took flesh in the womb of a, a woman? And people are like, you know, nod your head. He's like, all right, Eucharist, no problem. No problem. <laughs> he said, just keep going. And then yeah. apropos of, you know, a lot of people want to get off the boat when it comes to this particular doctrine. Yeah, there's historical precedent for that in John 6. People did yeah. get off the boat. But then when the option was posted, the the apostles, they're like, only you have the words of everlasting life. You know, were we to go elsewhere, we would, yeah, just, we would lose our bearings because we're rooted and grounded in you now. So that is a, not even a paraphrase, that is just an elaboration. Wow, um, it's like the, it the translation actual translation
0: of the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Oh, um, new idea. The, Jacob Bertrand. listen. <laughs>
1: Bible explaining. So when it comes to the change, we said in all the sacraments, Christ is present sacramentally, which Christ is present under the sign. All right. So a sacrament is a sign of a sacred thing that makes men holy. And so Christ is made present under that sign, which makes men holy. All right. But in the case of the Eucharist, he's present both sacramentally and substantially. So St. Thomas will say in the mode of substance, which like, as you said, is distinguished from local presence. So our Lord Jesus Christ is present locally in one place and that place is heaven, all right? So in heaven, the only begotten son of God has a human soul and a human body with all that goes with it, right? So a human intellect and a human will and human passions and all those co-assumed defects, which have been glorified now by the resurrection ascension, sitting at the right hand of God and judicial power, all right, so Our Lord is present in heaven where heaven is. That's a great question, but I would, I would suggest that our Lord Jesus Christ is right next to our lady and that our lady is right next to him. So there you go. There's, there's a space, (laughs) but when it comes to, um, to be present substantially, that means under the mode of substance. So when there is a change, all right, you have the appearance of bread and the appearance of wine, which ordinarily communicate to us the reality of bread and the reality of wine. But when the priest celebrates the sacrifice of the mass and you join your sacrifice to his, and he says, this is my body, all right? The bread is changed into the body of Christ. The wine is changed into the blood of Christ. You still have the appearance of bread and the appearance of wine, but now it's under those appearances that the reality of our Lord's body and blood are made present. So the bread is no longer, all right? The wine is no longer, they have been changed. And these appearances are actually suspended by God such that you can kind of locate our lord's body and blood all right so it's not like they are now the appearances of his body and blood they're not okay they are suspended miraculously by god such that you can kind of point to your five-year-old niece and say hey it's jesus all right under the appearance of bread or under the appearance of wine and what is made present there is the substance all right not in the way in which he is present in heaven in a different way but it is a real presence It is a true presence, okay? But we're not talking about something science fictiony where Jesus is in heaven and he's flying around to all of the different altars throughout the world as every mass is celebrated, okay? Rather, by virtue of the sacramentality, right? By virtue of the signification, sign of a sacred thing that makes men holy, the fact that this signification says Jesus is here, he is here substantially, all right? In the mode of substance. So what pertains to the substance, you know, Of our lord's body and what pertains to the substance of our lord's blood is made present on the altar and in being present they bring with them all that holds together all that is kind of uh, held together i should say as christ is in heaven so because you say okay here's the body well it brings with it everything else that the body kind of brings with it in heaven so in heaven the body is where the blood is where the soul is where the divinity is okay so too on earth the body brings with it the blood, the soul, and the divinity. And then the blood brings with it the body, the soul, and the divinity. So that way when you receive, you know, our Lord under the appearance of bread, when you receive his precious body, you receive body, blood, soul, and divinity. Or if you receive from the chalice, you receive his, his precious blood, but you also receive his, his body, his soul, and his divinity. So I think that's just a rough sketch of the yeah. basic shape of the change and then of the implications that go with it. But I forgot some things undoubtedly, so you can fill them in.
0: Well, I'm just going to mention um since we're coming near the end here cuz you know we already we nailed it down. Good job. Um but uh but I'll just mention two one say why it's not as cra- why it's not so crazy and two why it's entirely insufficient. Um uh this doctrine. So but not not a bad way in the way that it needs to be. Um first why it's not that crazy is that we don't generally think of we just don't think in terms of substances that much. Um but substances we generally think of substances and actions together, right? You when I'm looking at you, you have you're you're a substance, you're a person a very tall person right and your height is an accident it's a size thing but that changed over time and it's crazy to say that your substance changed right oh that's not that's not father Gregory anymore that's a new father gregor or something no that's nuts your substance is the same size which is no size right it's a you but you are present substantially it just turns out for us our substantial presence and our physical presence are not separated except in you know rare circumstances blah 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 substance okay um, so like, but we, we do, we tend to think in terms, we just don't then think of substances. We always think through the accidents, but if you just think about that and ask yourself, well, how big are you? And you could say, oh, I'm ten or whatever. And you're like, no, no. How big is your, how big is, is your, is your, your substance? Like as a, as a substance, not as a, a fleshed being, but as a substance. And you say, well, that, that's a stupid question, you know, but you're present. And where, where are you present? Well, I'm, I mean, all over this place, right. And not all over the room, but I mean, like in my body, throughout my body but I'm not my body, right? You know? So substance is a metaphysical, it's not a physical thing, it's a metaphysical thing, but that's not made up. It's a real metaphysical thing. It's a reality, although it's not a physical reality. And for Christ, of course, it just for the Eucharist, our claim is just that his substance is there without, you know, the with under the aspects of creaturely being for because of his choice. Um, but there's nothing illogical. It might be weird, but there's nothing illogical about that, too. Why is it Entirely insufficient. Well, there's just this. Um, this doctrine of transponentiation develops in a certain high time in history and is trying to explain something that is a mystery. I think people get confused with a mystery, an explanation as the mystery, or the doctrine as the explanation. So people think that the doctrine of the real presence is the doctrine of transponentiation. It's not. It's, I think of it as like it's a conceptual map, it's the best way to get to making sense of the reality of the change. But you'd be nuts if you thought that just by looking at Google Maps, you had seen Washington, D.C., if you're looking at Google, Google Maps in Washington, D.C. You would also be crazy if you said, well, because the map's not Washington, D.C., you know, because there's not a tree there where the Google Maps has a tree there, then it's just not related at all. no. You need the map to get somewhere, at least mentally in your head or something. You need to know something about it, but the map is not the city. It's not the reality, but it's a darn helpful way to get there. And I think same with transplantation and the doctrines here, which are difficult and and, and you know people sometimes say, oh they're historical accidents of Aristotelianism and all this kind of stuff, but that says nothing other than saying that they were made up by people to make sense of reality. But that doesn't mean that they're not helpful. In fact really helpful i mean you could think of it this way original maps were okay but google maps are getting pretty good such as you can almost like see people eventually there'll be like there'll be people there and people will get confused and they'll start to think like wait a minute maybe just we are the map is this transplantation you could say is like the latest and probably the best version you might want to say of trying to make sense of the reality of the eucharist so to say that it's not the reality therefore give it up is like saying well the map isn't the city therefore it's useless. No, that's nuts. What do you think about that?
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, Eucharistic Doctrine of a Philosopher. I often say that I'm a rhetorician, so I just say interesting things or beautiful things, and then sometimes I happen upon the truth. But the Father Bonaventure actually cares what things are, and in grappling with what things are, he comes to more profound discoveries of those said things. So those are both super helpful clarifications
0: well it's yeah there you go um but uh you know but you but you actually the problem is you might as a philosopher you may care more about what things are but you're also extremely skeptical you're more like oh i don't know whereas theologians are great <laughs> because like we've got answers you know we're it, it's gonna be coded in some sweet rhetoric and stuff but it's but we got some reality there you know so that's good it's it, both the necessary handmaidens and the queens are both queens need handmaids handmaids need, need queens uh this you know, is this hegel kind of uh lord, vassal, vassal and bondage servant or something, whatever. So yeah, the valet and the lord together, they're both necessary. So handmaids need queens, queen needs handmaids. Uh, But everyone needs the Eucharist. And that's what we're talking about. So hopefully this episode um, got a little <laughs> just thinking about not only about the change itself, the cartography, you could say, of the real presence, um, but also about why it's important, how it relates to the Old Testament, how it relates to sacrifices in general. Given the richer perspective, the Eucharist is not just a side issue. It's the main event. It's the main event. Um, and it's, it's worth pondering as the USCCB and other people in authority, uh, including Jesus, have told us we should do. <gasps> Um, So, thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe uh, or give just money or something to our work, check us out at patreon.com forward slash godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and whatever else Elon Musk owns at this point. Like, subscribe, (laughs) leave a five-star review, or put in more. Visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise, including the new Bible translation from Father Gregory, uh, and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplaining events, including Retreats. That's it from us for this one. We're turning it over as we continue our Eucharistic series, uh, as we revitalize our notion and love of Christ in the Eucharist and hopefully the, his graces in us. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you. See you again on God's Planning.